0: So turn with me please again to those words that we read in Ephesians chapter 3 earlier on in our service this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. So here we are, the Sunday after the Friday before, an installation has come and gone The last of the sandwiches, well, I hope they've been eaten. The visitors have headed home, although I see some from Hamilton Road here this morning. (laughs) But a new ministry has begun, and here we are. But what direction are we to travel? Where are we going? What can you expect in this congregation with a new minister in the pulpit? Some of you might be worried. Some of you might be concerned. Some of you might be uncertain or even a little nervous or excited or expectant. Some of you may be hopeful. Well, let me help you this morning by unveiling something of my heart to you. Over the course of this morning and next Sunday morning, from my prayer, my heart's desire reflects something of what Paul shares in this passage in Ephesians 3, as he shared it with his beloved friends in the church at Ephesus. Many of our Bibles, this is even marked as Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. If you've got an NIV there, it even says that just above verse 14. But the Apostle Paul at this time, when he pens this letter, was imprisoned in Rome. And from his confinement, he wrote numerous letters to many of those young churches that he had planted, encouraging them on his way. Now there's some debate as to whether this letter was sent to the church just at Ephesus, or to that whole collection of churches in Asia Minor in modern-day Turkey. So this letter may best be described as one for the road. It was to travel in the pocket of Paul's close friend. At the end of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21, we read that his friend Tychicus was carrying this letter. And he was to deliver it in person and bring personal greetings from Paul to the Christians with whom he had built up such a bond of affection along the road. This letter was a traveller. And as we read Paul's words, it does not just span the length of the Roman Empire from Rome all the way to Ephesus. It follows the long road of Christian history so that today we can even open it and read it for ourselves. So, if Paul prays this for the beloved Ephesian friends, I want to make this my prayer for us as we travel this road together. But I do so very aware of all that God has already done in this place in the past. And that's what Paul acknowledges too. Do you see how he begins in verse 14? For this reason I kneel before the Father. For this reason. What reason? Does he have in mind what is it that moves him to pray well in Ephesians chapters 1 to 3 if you want a reading project for this afternoon you will see there all that Christ has already done for them for us God has broken the power of darkness he has raised those dead and sins to new life he has made us right with God through Jesus his son our saviour it's on the basis of all those gospel truths that paul has a reason to pray it's on the basis of the fact that god has done a mighty work of god in many of our lives in the past that he can base his prayer on and i am not here to shake that up or turn that round but like paul build on what has gone before And the lovely thing is, these truths bring us in, like I was saying to the boys and girls, into one remarkable family. As I look around this morning, today, many of you are simply still faces and some names. But over time, those names and faces will become very much family to me. But even as I come amongst you, many of us have a background that knows what it is to have Jesus Christ as Lord. We're in the same family. Just like you did not choose who your mother or father were or who your brother or sister would be. Just as well say some people, isn't it? So it's the same within the church. None of us get to choose who the family of Christ are to be. We are what's called an unfashionably united bunch of people. That God brings together from different backgrounds, with different dreams, with different aspirations and burdens and problems. But in God's mercy, He is the one who brings us together, and we are His. No matter who you are or where you're from, whatever has brought you here, if you're in Christ, what a family we are. Have you ever thought about that? What a bunch we are. (laughs) Even as we look at what a bunch we are. But God has brought us together. There are things that unite us. For some of us, we do similar sort of jobs. Or the friends that we have. Or the hobbies we enjoy. Or the areas where we live, of course. But the church of Christ trumps all of that. And that's what unites us. Even if we have nothing else, humanly speaking, in common. You see in verse 15, we read, From whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. We're a family that has a history, that links one with the other, with the believers who have inspired us in the past, and we're also intimately linked with the saints in Ephesus, with Paul, with Christ, with God as our Father. When we meet, we are the only bunch. Dare I say it. Yes, us as the church. We're the only lot that have an enduring history and an unending legacy. Ever thought about that? Every other organization, business, club, society, family will fade or fold or die. But this people, we as his people, have a past, have a present And have a future. Because we share in the name of the God who fathers us. We meet as his family. We are this wonderfully saved yet marvelously strange body. That we call the church. And so what does Paul pray for the church? What do I pray for us? What should we be praying for one another? Here's the first thing this morning. Inner strength verses 16 and 17. Let's look at that together. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Inner strength. Paul's concern for the church was that individuals would be strengthened in their inner being. Now, what does that mean? Well, in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul explains this for us a little more. He says this, Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. What is seen is temporal, in other words, it's passing, but what is unseen is eternal. All of us, whether we're 18 or 80, are getting older. None of us can turn back the clock I am not able to do the things that I was able to do when I was 21 as quickly or as effectively. My glasses are a permanent reminder that my sight is not what it was. My back talks to me every morning. And for older members among us, the pain of those joints or the stiffness of arthritis or the battle of ongoing illness is a daily reminder that these bodies of ours are not what they once were. But how many of us No, the dear Christian friend, even sitting with us here today, of whatever age, who despite their obvious physical challenges, seem to live as if they've already got one foot in heaven. They mightn't be able to walk as they did, or remember what even they should be doing at times, but their face beams with the love of Christ, and a depth of thankfulness and grace. Praise God for saints like that. But then, there are other Folks who are battling similar conditions and their inner being appears to become as twisted as their body. They have become sharp and argumentative and bitter. In their youth, they had sufficient physical stamina to keep their inner resolve being capped. But now that their energy reserves have gone, what they really are just seems to spill out for everyone to see. And that is not nice. That's Paul's concern If we are outwardly fit and able, surrounded by all that we need, our families, our health, our strength, our success, our security, our job satisfaction, a decent income, respect in our community, we just toddle on. And we convince ourselves that everything's intact. But how are we inwardly? Let me ask you that question. How are you inwardly today? What enables you to flourish inwardly even as you get older and fade outwardly? Where does your strength come from whenever you're stripped of everything else? When disappointments or disease or depression or disaster strikes, what enables you to stand? Paul prays that our strength would come by God's Spirit as his Son comes to dwell in our hearts by faith, we read in verse 17. The Bible affirms that every believer who trusts in Christ has the Holy Spirit at work in him or her, but the dwelling that he speaks of here could almost be translated as praying that Christ would dwell in us more fully. Let me paint this picture for you. Think of a couple gathering enough resources to put together a down payment for a mortgage and a house. They buy the property, but they recognise that it needs a fair amount of work. They can't stand the 1970s Paisley pattern wallpaper in the bedroom. There's loads of rubbish in the roof space. The kitchen was designed for the convenience of the plumber, but not the cook. The roof leaks and the insulation barely meets minimum standards. The electric box is too small. The lighting in the bathroom is poor. But this young couple's first home, and they're grateful for it. They're so thankful for it. And the months slip past, and then the years. The wallpaper's been replaced by very tasteful pastel patterns. The couple have remodeled the kitchen. The roof no longer leaks. The rubbish has long since gone from the roof space. They have added an extension. There's a family room now, and even a study. 25 years later, after the purchase, the husband turns to his wife and says, You know, I really like it here. This place suits us. This house has been shaped to our needs and our tastes. And I feel rather comfortable here now. When Christ, by his spirit, takes up resin in us, he finds the moral equivalent of the rubbish and the paisley pattern wallpaper and the leaking roof. He sets about turning this house, us, into a place appropriate for him to live. A home in which he is comfortable. There will be cleaning to be done, repairs to be made, some much needed expansion, but his aim is clear. He wants to take up residence powerfully in our hearts as we exercise our faith in him. Make no mistake, when Christ moves into our lives, he finds us in terribly bad repair. We're all in great deal of need for a change and that is why Paul prays, for power to make that change. He asked that God may so strengthen us by his power in our inner being that Christ may genuinely come to live within us and transform us into a house that reflects the character of God himself. That over time our lives would be evidence to the fact we have a new resident in here. In other words, it's asking God to shape us into Christ himself. How much more like Jesus are you today than you were yesterday? How much more like Jesus are you today than you were last year? How much more like Jesus are you today than the, word that you put, the day you put your hand up in a meeting and came to faith? There's a phrase I don't really like, but I can maybe captured it here. Are you saved and just stuck? And when we see that God would strengthen us inwardly, he can build us up from within The beams are strengthened, the flooring is secure. What Paul asks for his readers is that they would be fortified, embraced, and invigorated so that they would know the strength of the Spirit's reinforcement and may lay hold even more firmly of his divine indwelling. Sinclair Ferguson, in his commentary in these verses, puts it very well like this. Do we really believe that we need to be strengthened? fail to see this and we reveal how little we understand or appreciate the magnitude of what god has done in us his son the creator who the heavens cannot contain the mighty lord comes to live in frail sinful mortals just like you and me the magnitude of this is too much for us to take in but when we begin to appreciate it and live in its light the effect is life-changing Christ lives in us. But how are we to take hold of this? Well, first of all, pray that for yourself. Pray that for our church family here in Le Comfort. Pray that for me and my ministry, that we would be strengthened deep within. Let's pray that from this day on, that Christ would strengthen us from within so that we can stand whatever comes our way from without. But also we we take hold of this by faith in God's glorious riches. Do you see that in verse 16? Very important. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen us. You know it's one thing to ask God for strength. But how can we be sure of the supply that he gives? We read that we receive God's glorious riches. That God has already secured for us on account of what Christ has done for us. Everything that we have from God comes to us through his son we are forgiven. He has brought us to God. Our debt of sin is cancelled. He has granted us eternal life that we simply did not deserve. He has called us his children and we can call him our Father. Every blessing we have is tied up with what Christ has done for us and in us. This is Christ's glorious storehouse of unlimited, eternal, deep, fathomless riches. So to doubt that we will have enough strength to stand even when outwardly we fear when we face cancer or career change or death or difficulty or financial worries or family problems is to in effect say we don't trust Jesus. It's to say God hasn't done enough for us. Jesus is lacking in something. He saved me but he's not strong enough to help me now. I'll trust him for this, but can he be relied upon for that? That's why we need to pray this prayer so that together we can see the all-sufficiency of Christ, that he has covered every base. He can give strength in every situation. Someone asked me a few weeks ago, just before I left Hamilton Road, what my favorite verse of scripture was, and my answer was this. Romans 8 verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? Commentator Octavius Winslow says, who delivered Jesus up to die? Not Judas for money, not Pilate for fear, not the Jews for envy, but the Father for love. Here Paul argues that in the giving of his own dear son, he gave everything. He emptied the storehouse of the riches of his grace. He piled it high. If he can give us Jesus, he'll give us anything else that we need when the going gets tough. The cross is the guarantee of his continuing unfailing generosity. Isn't that what we should be praying for? That's what I pray for us. That we would grasp those truths and that they would strengthen us deep, deep within. When our worlds seem to be falling apart, that we have an inner strength secured by Christ and comforted that he stays right with us. The second thing that we want to be praying for is that God's love would take deeper roots. Yes, number one, inner strength. But number two, deeper roots. Look at verse 17. I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Go home and read these verses. Go home and pray these verses. Paul's prayer was that the believers were strengthened in order that they might love. Remember this family under the fatherhood of God that was spoken about today? A new family, a different family. It contained Jews and Greeks. There were those who were once at loggerheads who used to fight with one another. The Jews called the Gentiles dogs. The Romans thought that the Jews were just weird in their worship. One side held political power. The others were humiliated and undermined. And even within the early church setting, how was a Christian slave to relate to a Christian master who had ill-treated him in the past? Some of the members of this church family in Ephesus were ex-soldiers. Others had been belittled and bruised by the military, crushed under their boots. There were so many, us and thems in Roman society, so many, just like today. People labeled by who they were or where they came from or what they did. And Paul has already said in Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 14, For Christ himself is our peace, who has made the two to become one and has destroyed the barrier and the dividing wall of hostility. Christ is a bridge, not a barrier. In him, no matter who we are, in Christ we are one. The church is a new and true humanity. God is creating a new people where love is a feature it's preeminent the church is to be the place where brothers and sisters in christ love the lord love the father and love one another or should do and that is where we need the power of god's spirit and god's strength to enable us to love one another especially across divides and differences of opinion or standing but our prayer is to be whatever has divided us in the past must be set aside for the sake of the name of jesus and the good of his church The glory of his name comes before any of my personal preferences or feelings. To express how fundamental Paul longs for their love to be, he joins two word pictures together to help us. One is from gardening, the other is from building. These Christians are to be rooted and grounded in love. What's the secret of the plant growing or the structure holding? It's not what is seen, it's what's not seen. Christians are to have those deep roots and those firm, firm foundations. So Paul likens them to a well-rooted tree and a well-built house. In both cases, the unseen is the cause of the upper stability. For us, Paul says, our unseen stability comes from love let's get away from the idea of love in the bible as some flimsy floppy february the 14th valentine's day kind of thing this love when it's spoken about in the bible is sacrificial love it's costly love it is no weak thing it is an act of the will to love those we have previously despised to love those we dislike to love those we've disagreed with Love is to be the soil in which our lives are rooted. Love is to be the foundation on which life is built in the church. You know, I remember very, very little about the philosophy or the psychology of education lectures during my Strammelis college days while it's training to be a teacher. But from the second year on, and I'm not encouraging any of you to do this, I think I managed to get into every exam question and every essay I wrote this one line happiness is the soil from which learning grows it's deep isn't it if you have a happy classroom environment the children will listen if you have a happy home children will obey something like that but paul is saying here put your roots deep into christ's love for you Dig deep into the foundations of what Christ has achieved on your behalf already. And then when you're tempted to criticize or look down your nose at someone else in the church, you will stop because the church grows out of God's love as we in turn show that love one to the other. Love is both to be foundational but radical as we learn to love others as Christ has loved us. As we come to our communion service next week, we will look further at this prayer as we consider the height, length, breadth, and depth of the love of Christ. But for now, let me encourage you to pray this prayer as I pray it for you so we may know that the inner strength is there whilst putting down those deeper roots. But let me finish this morning with a quote from author Don Carson words that capture far better than I could what my heart's desire is for us as a congregation of God's people here at this time of new beginnings. Carson says this, God's purpose for the men and women he redeems is not simply to have them believe certain truths, but to transform them in a lifelong process that stretches towards heaven. Do you know Christ? If you do, how long have you known Christ? And how far have you traveled with him? So join with me as we travel this road together. Let's pray.